You are listening to the First Baptist Jinx podcast. To learn more about FBC Jinx, including our gathering times, visit us online at fbcjinx.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Rick Fry. Well, good morning. Let me welcome you today. We're excited to have those of you join us online and those of you over in the overflow this morning. We're excited to be in God's house. And wow, what an incredible energy in the room this morning in worship. Amen. I tell you, it was great. Carson, thank you so much. All Praise Choir. It's great to see folks up there and getting to be a part of this. So, uh, wow. Uh, matter of fact, we got done with that one of those songs. I thought to myself, I just need to get up and preach right now or just give an invitation and uh, we'd be ready. Well, this morning, I want you to take your Bibles and turn if you will, to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 1 this morning. And we're going to be in Colossians. We're going to finish up chapter 1. We're going to jump into the first five verses of chapter 2. And uh, we do not want you to, uh, to miss what Paul is writing to this church at Colossae. Remember, Paul was writing to a group of people that he had never seen, he had never met. And you may wonder, why in the world was Paul writing with such intensity? Well, I think the reason why is because Paul understood that this Christian life is not a casual walk in the park. In other words, there is energy and there is power and there is going to be trials and tribulations that we are going to face. The Christian life, listen, is always, always missional. Don't forget that. There is something to be accomplished. There is actually something to be won. Paul actually writes a little bit about this over in 1 Corinthians in chapter 9 when he says that I beat my body, I actually make my body a slave, lest after I preach to others... I myself may be an outcast. And what Paul is doing, Paul is saying, I'm serious about this thing called the Christian life, so I'm running to win. What I want you to realize this morning is that every one of us that are saved and born again, you and I were born spiritually to reproduce. What I mean by that is we were born to make a difference. We were born to make disciples. And yet I will tell you, one of the greatest fears that I have when I look at the church in America today is, is that, listen, this self-centered Christianity that somehow hovers over the Western world, hear me this morning, is not biblical Christianity. This hyper-individualism, what I mean by that is that it's kind of me and Jesus, that's not biblical. There's so much more to this life. Biblical Christianity always will drive us to a cause, and you and I exist to glorify God and to make disciples of Jesus Christ. The fact that there ought to be this delightful pursuit, if you will, about your Christianity. It is more than just simply showing up on Sunday morning and checking it off your list and saying, okay, I came to church, I'm in a small group, I went on a mission trip, I gave my tithe. There is so much more to this life. And Paul is writing to this church at Colossae to help them understand this is not a casual walk in the park. This is serious business, that God saved us and left us here to be on mission, to literally understand that your life and my life is always, always to be missional. So there are two statements that actually come out of this text this morning that I want us to look at. The first statement is this, what the cause of Christ does in us, listen, for others. Let me say this to you again. What does the cause of Christ do in us, in your life, for others. Let's pick it up beginning in verse 24. He says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. This is his church. 
of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the Word of God, notice, fully known. So the question is, what does the cause of Christ? When you're saved and born again, Christ comes to live in you, which is the hope of glory. What does it do in us for others? First of all, it gives you a heart. Paul is saying, listen, I am joyful. It is a privilege to suffer for the sake and the cause of Christ because that underscores the reality of my identification with Jesus Christ. He didn't say this life was going to be easy. He said, you're going to have tribulation, but be a good cheer. I've overcome the world. Now, remember in this context, remember where he's writing from. Paul is not in this wonderful, soft, cushiony hotel. Paul is in prison. Paul is in jail. And what he's saying here is that I'm in prison, notice, because of the cause of Christ. In other words, what Paul was trying to get across to us is this, that don't feel sorry for me. It is a privilege that I have to suffer and to spread the gospel. Listen to me. Hear me. If you don't get anything else today, please get this. There are no set of circumstances that any of us will ever face within our life where we cannot give God the glory. Good or bad, hard or easy, there are no circumstances, I don't care what they may be, that you cannot, in the midst of them, give the glory, give the praise, and give the honor of God. And what Paul was saying, the cause is so great. I, I can't be duly unrespective. In other words, what Paul is saying is this, the cause of Christ is so great that I can't waste my time in having a pity party. I can't waste my time in feeling sorry for myself. Why? Because it is the grace of God that has permitted me to be at this point and this time, yes, even in prison and in jail. And so in other words, I have to use the circumstances that I'm in, even though they're hard and they're difficulty, to motivate me to bring glory to Christ. How could he say that? I'll tell you how he could say it, because his heart was steady. He was so focused on the cause and the purpose of Christ that God had called him to. Remember what he wrote over Philippians chapter 1 when he said, he said, I'm going to glorify him whether in life or by death, but I'm going to glorify him in my body. Whether it's in my life or whether I'm dying, it doesn't make any difference. I'm going to glorify him. So he says, I'm not going to waste my time getting upset about being depressed about my circumstances that God has allowed me to be in. How in the world can you and I live that kind of life like the Apostle Paul is describing? It's because you have a new heart. Paul understood that he could do this because his heart was not focused on him. His heart was not focused on his circumstances. His heart was not focused on the fact that he's in prison, and I'm sure it is stinky and smelly, and it's hard, and it's difficult, and probably a lack of food and nourishment, and all of those things. He said, I am so focused on the cause and the purpose of Christ that I don't look at my suffering as a hindrance, but rather I look at my suffering, are you listening, as an opportunity. And that opportunity is for the expansion and the cause of Christ. So we have a new heart. And Paul says, I have a new heart, and I'm running to the finish line, and I want to win. Can I ask you a question? Who in the world ever told the church to quit? Who ever told you to ratchet it back? Who ever told you to put it on pause? Who ever told us today, ah, slow down a little bit. We don't have to be... As, 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 as bold and as brass in the gospel. 
Can I just tell you, I believe that today one of the major problems in the American church is this, that there is a softness and there's a weakness about our Christianity today. We have become so brittle. Something doesn't go the way that we think that it ought to go inside the church, so what do we do? Well, I'm going to pack up my badge and I'm going to go somewhere else. Do you think that everything's going to be perfect over there? I think not. There are no perfect churches. There's no perfect pastors, and there are no perfect church members. Amen? But that's what we do. Paul is saying, I am joyful in this privilege. And he underscores this by saying, not only do I have a new heart, I've also got a calling. Look at what he says beginning in verse 26 and 27. He says, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. The question is, what is this mystery that he's talking about? He says, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery for which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Do you realize that what he's talking about here, again, he's not talking about buildings, but he's talking about the church. He's talking about the body of Christ. When we are saved, where does Christ come to live? He comes to live inside of us. And he says, there is something that is not revealed, but now it is revealed. And we know that after the death, the burial, and the resurrection, Christ came to live inside of us. We become the church, the body of Christ. It was a mystery. It was a mystery that was in the Old Testament, and yet it was kind of hidden, and yet it was there. And now it is revealed in the New Testament. So Paul is writing about the church. And he says, you are a part of this hidden society that now has been made public. And he says, this is my calling, and it's an incredible calling. Why? Because it's about the church, the body of Christ. It is Christ in you. I talked a little bit about this last week, but do you understand what a privilege it is to be a part of the body of Christ? I think one of the reasons why we have a lot of unhealthy Christians today who are saved, born again, but they're not connected to the body. They're not connected the way that they need to be. They're not connected. They're not plugged in, if you will, and walking and growing together. Christians don't live a hyper-independent life. Paul said, I am called to this. Go back and look at verse 27. He says, to them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. To realize that God is working through this organism that is called the church, the body of Christ, and how the walls now have come down. And so what he says is, you've got Jews and Gentiles. There are no difference. It is Christ in you for the hope of glory. And Paul says, this is my calling. But hear me, church, this is our calling as well. Think about this. This is our calling. Go back and look at the Great Commission. There's a neat little Greek word there. It's called ethnos, and it goes, he says, therefore, as you are going, do what? Make disciples. It's where you get our English word ethnic from. Jesus is saying the nature of the church was never to be singular. You see, Rick, what do you mean by that? It, it is not that we are to represent one single group. Are you listening to me? That looks just like us. In other words, the church was always to reflect the demographics of where God placed us. Why? Because it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I submit to you, when you look at the Great Commission, the very nature of this calling, hear me, is to reach all people. Hear me, church. We are not to bypass people who don't look like us in order to get to people who look like us. That's not our calling. You remember what Paul said? Paul said, I became all things to all people that I might win some. Now, some people would look at that and go, oh, do you mean he comp? No, he didn't compromise. 
is, is, this is what I call accommodation without compromise. So Paul says, I'm willing to become all things to all people. That is, I'm willing to, to, to change a little bit, to move a little bit, but I'm not going to compromise the gospel. I'm not going to compromise the truth of the word of God. He never did that, but it was accommodation without compromise. He says, this is my calling. This is what underscores this. It is Christ in us that gives us a new heart. It is Christ in us that gives us a calling. And thirdly, it is Christ in us that gives us passionate pursuit. Look at what he says in verse 28. He says, him we proclaim. Warning that everyone and teaching, everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all of his energy that he powerfully works in me. Now, did you catch that? Everyone. Everyone. Not some, not people who look just like me. No, everyone. The text is inclusive, isn't it? Can I just tell you, we begin to head down a wrong pathway when Jesus is not the focus of our Christianity. And let me just say this to you. You've got to be awful careful in making your pet theological doctrine, your pet issue, higher than the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus stands head and shoulders above everything. And when I have to search to try to find Jesus in the midst of your doctrinal bunny trail, okay, you can't find, you gotta look for him. Then we have some major issues and some major problems. And that's what's happening in our world today. We fail to realize that the mission of the church is to proclaim Jesus. Jesus is on every page of the Bible. I don't care from cover to cover. The message has been and always will be Jesus Christ. As long as I have breath, as long as I stand in this pulpit to be your pastor and shepherd, I will tell you, it is always gonna be the message of Jesus Christ, period. Amen? It's always Jesus. This is the driving force of the church. It is not some political issue. It is not your likes and dislikes. It's not about your preferences. You and I were born and born again to proclaim Jesus Christ. Why? Because you and I don't need to become a stumbling block for people to get to Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is the only one that changes and transforms lives. We proclaim Christ not only in preaching, but also in our daily life. And so notice what he says. We proclaim what? Here's the key, warning everyone. Paul does not warn people because he wants to control them. But let me tell you what he's passionate about. He's passionate about the people of God becoming more like Jesus Christ. I read something this week that D.A. Carson, he's a renowned theological scholar. Listen to what he said, and I quote. He said, we don't drift toward holiness. We drift toward compromise, and then we call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience, and we call it freedom. Think about the power of those words. You see, that is the reason why the role of every Christian is not just to have a whole lot of happy talk, but our role is also to warn. That's not always fun. It's not always easy. You've heard me talk about for the past almost 19 years that we need to tie a rope around one another. Why? Because all of us have a tendency that we're going to slip, we're going to get off track, we're going to run off on some bunny trail, we're going to get somewhere we shouldn't be. And if we truly love each other, we have to be willing to look at each other and say, wait a minute, that, that's not right thinking. That's not the Christ I have seen in you. Those are not the right conclusions. 
And I'm telling you, if you head down that path, you're going to end up in trouble. You're going to end up in disaster, whether it's in your marriage or your life or career. Family, this is the rolling up our sleeves and digging into what real discipleship is all about. And why is this? Because the goal, did you catch this in Scripture? The goal is to present every man mature in Christ. Every man mature in Christ. This has to do with spiritual growth and spiritual maturity. The goal of discipleship is not to make people like me and you. The goal of discipleship is to help people become like Jesus. That's why we're here. That's why we exist. He says, I toll, I struggle. This is the energy that is working inside of me. And he says, I struggle with this. Why? Because I want every man to be complete in Christ. That word struggle is an interesting word. It's the Greek word ergonesensmai, uh, and it's where we get our word agony from. Discipleship is hard. Discipleship is worth it. Discipleship is rolling up your sleeve and getting in the trenches. So let me ask you a question. What price are you willing to put on a transformed life? What price are you willing to put on a transformed life? So Paul says, this is what it does in me for the cause of others. But what does it do through us for others? Well, first of all, he says it is to encourage. Let's pick it up in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. He says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the richness of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. I want you to catch something here. Paul said, I want you to be encouraged. This labor of passionate love that Paul had was not for just simply those people that he knew. Oh, I'm just passionate about you because I know you and I love you and I have a relationship with you. No, this focus of encouragement was anchored in the knowledge of Christ. What Paul wanted for the church at Colossae was that there was this soul-enriching foundational encouragement. Notice that comes from where? It comes from Christ. But then he said, secondly, I want you to have a focus. Look at verse 3. In whom are hidden all the treasures of the wisdom and the knowledge. Why do you need to be so focused on Christ? Because this is where the treasures of wisdom and knowledge comes from. It comes from Jesus. And what Paul is saying is, I, I know experiencing Christ, that we also experience the richness of his knowledge and his wisdom. Hear me. Yes, study the word of God. That's important. Yes, spend time in prayer. But the greatest understanding of this knowledge and this wisdom comes from an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And the way that you have that intimate relationship with Christ is spending time with Jesus. You ain't going to make it if all you do is come to church on Sunday morning and listen to me preach or one of the other guys preach and check it off your list, go to small groups, and that's the only time that you're ever spending time with Jesus. Spiritually, you will dry up and blow away. You will begin to dip into nothingness. There has to be a relationship. It's no different than you and I today. You want to have a relationship with your Kids, you got to spend time with. You want to have a relationship with your spouse, you got to spend time. You want to have a relationship with your grandkids, you got to spend time. Same thing is true with Christ. 
Because what happens is that when we go, let me show you something. If you go back and look at the earlier church, remember when Paul was writing to the church at Ephesus? Remember what he said about them? He says, hey, guys, listen, you, you, you've got the right behavior. Man, you even know and believe a lot of good stuff. But I have something against you. You have lost your first love. You see, it's one thing to say, I, 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 man, I know. But is he the passion of your life? To think that they knew the right stuff, but they weren't putting it into practice. They believed the right stuff, but they weren't putting it into practice. He said, I've got something against you. You have lost your first love. Listen to me. Apart from Jesus Christ, what you know is nothing more and nothing less than legalistic nonsense. That's all it is. But when Jesus is the heart and the core and the center, it is truth that changes your life. It's not nonsense. But then he says, listen to me. I want you to be encouraged. I want you to focus. And then I want there to be faithfulness. Look at verse 4. He says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order for the firmness of your faith in Christ. Let me ask you a question today. How is your faithfulness? Do you find it easy to get lost in all the stuff that's happening in the world today that somehow it deludes your faithfulness? Paul was saying, listen, you've got to continue to be faithful. And in the day and the time that you and I are living, that faithfulness becomes such a necessity. He says, stay with it. There is, I told somebody the other day, I said, one of the things I've seen happen because of COVID is there has been this influx of just shuffling sheep. Where, where's the faithfulness today? Where's that stickability today? And this is what Paul is right. He says, stay after it. Don't lose sight. There are going to be things that's going to try to get you off course. There's going to be things that's going to kind of run you down this money trailing there and there. Where, where is this faithfulness? So out of this, I want to ask you three important questions. Number one, how important, listen to me, how important is the cause of Christ for you? Not your preferences, not your passions, not your theological, doctrinal thing that you want to stand on, that, that's your soapbox. No, how important is the cause of Christ to you right where you are? What matters the most? Second question, are you being discipled? See, I think we have this, this wrong thinking that, man, I get to a certain age, I don't need to be discipled anymore. That's not true. The question is, is somebody pouring into your life because you never get too old to grow and become more like Jesus Christ? Are you giving them access to you? That is, you're opening up your heart and your life and saying, hey, I want to continue to grow, so pour into me. But here's the third and final one. Are you intentionally pouring into others? You see, I believe that every single Christian, hear me, every Christian ought to have at least two or three people that they are investing their heart and life into helping them to become a conduit for the love of Christ to a lost and dying world and moving them to Christ-likeness. Somewhere, you go and study the earlier church, 
man, you see multiplication taking place. Remember what Paul told Timothy? He said, Timothy, what I, what I have committed unto you, that is, we've spent time together, we've prayed together, we've served together. So, Timothy, what I've committed unto you, I want you to commit to faithful men and for faithful men to others. In other words, this thing called Christianity is not this hyper-individualism where it's just me and Jesus and don't worry about anybody else. No, it's about you and I opening up our lives to be poured into, but it's then us in turn pouring into others. It's what the Bible calls a multiplication. We got so content and happy with additions. That's not the way God designed the church. You say, well, I, I, don't, I don't know enough. I'm not a preacher. I haven't gone to... I haven't gone to seminary. I haven't gone to Bible college. Hear me this morning. What you need to understand is when it talks about discipleship, it is you staying one step ahead of the person that you're discipling. That means when God gives you a spiritual truth, listen to me, whether by reading it, studying it, through preaching, small group, whatever it is, when God gives you a spiritual truth, that spiritual truth is to come into your life. It gets unloaded on your spiritual unloading dock. It is now to be simulated into your life. That is, it becomes a part of you now. It's truth not that you just heard. It is truth that has changed your life. So when that spiritual truth comes into your life, just like this morning through preaching, when it gets into your life, it gets unloaded on your spiritual unloading dock. It is simulated into your life. Now, here's the key. It now picks up speed so it passes through you on its way to somebody else. Think about it. Think about how much truth right now is contained in the heart and the lives of the people sitting in this room this morning and watching online today. Saved, been saved for years. How much truth you have? Has it come into your life? Got unloaded on your spiritual unloading dock? Simulated into your life? Now it picks up speed so it passes through you on its way to somebody else? How much truth are we containing right here in this room that we're not sharing and pouring into others? You see, that's what discipleship is. It's just taking the truth that God has given to you and pouring it in to somebody else. Here's my challenge to us. We don't have a lot of 22 left. We're kind of mid-season. But here's what I ask you to do. I want to ask you that you begin to pray that the rest of 22 and as we move into 23, that this sense of what true, genuine discipleship would truly become a movement and the life and the ministry of First Baptist Jinx. We have an incredible discipleship pastor. Nate is one of the best I've ever seen. It's all here. But let me tell you what it's got to take. It takes you opening up your life, one, to be discipled. And then it takes a willingness on your part to spend that time at the feet of Jesus so that you can take the truth that God is pouring into your life and pour it into somebody else. I can't even begin to imagine what God would begin to do in the life of this church if that became the driving force of what we're doing. You know why? Because in the midst of all of that, you lose sight of who you are. All of a sudden, your preferences and your likes become so far down the list because you know what becomes the most important thing in your life is to bring glory and honor to the name of Jesus, to exalt him, to glorify him to worship in, and we lose the sense of ourself because it's lost into the person of Jesus. Let's stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, I come to you this morning. 
Father, I pray today that you will just take a, a very simple truth that Paul is giving to us, and yet it is a powerful truth, one that can change our lives if we allow it to. Lord, I, I love this family. I know that you want to do incredible things in and through us, but God, bring us back to this incredible passion for the cause of Christ. That it's not just about me and Jesus. That it, you have placed me here, whether I was a, a Baptist preacher or not, you've placed me here, though, to pour my life into others. You've placed me here to exalt you and to worship you and to let you be the focus of my heart and my life. I, I pray we'd ask the question, have we somewhere lost our, our first love? Have we got so caught up in the things of this world that church and God and spiritual truth has become secondary? So, Father, speak to hearts today. For those that need to come for salvation, those that need to come and give their heart and life to Christ, those that are struggling, may they find that they are loved and forgiven. And they no longer have to live in guilt. That guilt, Father, is covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. And they can live a life that is free and energized by the Holy Spirit. So speak to our hearts today. For I pray that in Jesus' name, amen.